perfect example of what I've been talking about. Since this boy was suckling on his mama's tit, he's been given everything but discipline. And now his idea of courage and manhood is to get together with a bunch of punk friends and ride around irritating folks too good natured to put a stop to it. <laughs> hey, who do you think you are, huh? Just dumb kids, huh? Don't kill him. Hug McCann. I fought in two world wars and countless smaller ones on three continents. I led thousands of men into battle with everything from horses and swords to artillery and tanks. I've seen the headwaters of the Nile and tribes the natives no white man had ever seen before. I've won and lost a dozen fortunes, killed many men, and loved only one woman with a passion a flea like you could never begin to understand. That's who I am. Now go home, boy. In our culture, a man who loves a woman with passion, faithfulness, and honor is a rarity. Our boys are often taught one of two things. They are either taught to bed as many women as possible in their quest for true manhood, or quite frankly, they are taught to be women. But there is a still more excellent way. The way of manhood God designed and Christ modeled by loving His bride. Among the many obstacles on a man's path to true greatness is the sin of lust, a failure to order and restrain his passions and direct them for the good of one woman, his wife. Such has been the case since the fall, and since the promise of the covenant in Christ's blood, men have been fighting to master sin, for it crouches at the door. And this sin, perhaps more than others, is one fathers must prepare their sons for. Long ago, a wise father recounted to his son the danger that all men face. He warned of the poison that turns hard men soft and strong men weak, and he did so by telling a story. A story about a young man, a popular, handsome, apparently strong young man, who was brought low by this sin. Now this young man, the father told his son, one day encountered a figure known only as the Forbidden Woman a woman so seductive that it was said that her lips dripped honey and her speech was smoother than oil, a woman known to steal the honor of proud men and deprive the mighty of his strength. This forbidden woman with flattering tongue and sexually suggestive gestures seized this young man and kissed him, and then the woman turned away and merely beckoned the young man to follow. Now this young man, the father tells his son, was foolish enough to take the twilight road near the haunts of this devilish woman. But what happened next is what sealed his fate. For rather than leading a woman in honor and purity, he was led by her. And all at once, he followed her. And as the ox goes to the slaughter, so this young man was led as if with a noose about his neck by the promiscuous and loose woman. And of this forbidden woman, the father warned his son, many a victim has been laid low. 
So remember this, he tells his son, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight, be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? Our modern word pornography can be traced back to the Greek word pornographos, a compound word containing the word porne, which means prostitute or harlot, and graphe, which means writing or a thing written. Therefore, the word pornography literally means writing about harlots or the writing of harlots. In the Greco-Roman world of the New Testament, there were no magazines or videos, but there was pornography, painted or scribbled on walls, and there were, of course, what the book of Proverbs called a forbidden woman. In fact, the Greek version of the Old Testament uses the word porne to refer to the aforementioned forbidden woman whose lips drip honey. In the New Testament, the Greek word pornea refers to any illicit sexual activity, and it is sometimes translated as fornication in English Bibles. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. In other words, abstain from pornea. And that is the charge, not just for those who are members of Christ's covenant, but for everyone. For the law word of God is the standard for all men everywhere. And as the Catechism says, all men are not only permitted, but commanded and exhorted to read, hear, and understand the scriptures. So join us on this episode of the Lancaster Patriot Podcast to deal with a subject that far too few pulpits are willing to deal with in our day. All right, gentlemen, welcome back. Hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Joel, did you enjoy yourself? I, indeed, I did. Do you like turkey? Uh, I like turkey, but I like uh, hanging with the grands even better. So okay, that was fun. How many grandkids now? 20? Uh, 20, waiting on uh, number 27. 27. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, welcome back to the Lancaster Patriot Podcast. Episode today is brought to you by Nickel Mine Floor Covering, located in southern Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. They offer sales and installation of quality carpet, ceramic tiles, hardwood floors, laminate flooring, vinyl, and more. You can go to the website at nickelmineflooorcovering.com, or you can go to Coryville, PA, and check out their showroom. Uh, they've been serving the area since 1970. So if you need new floors, go to nickelmineflooorcovering.com. All right, gentlemen, I want to do a brief disclaimer here at the beginning of this show. Um, this is not going to be a, a show that's rated R by any means, um, but it is probably more geared towards a mature audience. And I think our hope specifically is to speak to, to young men and, and older men uh, and, and women as well, but especially the young men and older men who are training the young men, whether they're sons in the home or discipling them in the local church. Um, and, and we were just talking before we went on air. Luke, what would you say about this? That it's not pleasant to... Well, yeah, the, the Bible talks about that it's shameful for what to, to even speak about what they do in secret. And this is basically going to be the whole podcast where we're going to be talking about shameful things that people do in secret. And it's just not something to look forward to. It's not something to think about. But, you know, those are often the most important battles. Um, are the, uh, the, you know, in the institutional church, it's been revealed that the most important battle, battles are the ones that nobody wants to talk about. 
Right, right. Yeah, and uh, we're talking about a a sin that that usually, even in our culture today, is still uh, kept hidden. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's there's a sense of shame, and I think we'll talk about that there should be, and we'll we'll get into that. And we'll also talk about the the forgiveness and the power over sin that is found in Christ. So, again, yeah, this episode is on pornography, and it's so it's we're going to keep it, you know, rated PG or so, but PG thirteen. I don't know where it would come out on the on the official rating, but it's not going to be explicit, but it still is for a mature audience. Um, you know, they don't say, they say you don't talk about religion, politics, and sex. So we already talk about the first two all the time, religion and politics on this show. So you had to throw another one in there. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. no avoiding it uh, when we're dealing with this topic of pornography. So if out it, there in Paganville, that's all they can talk about is sex. But anyway, right. Yeah. And we'll talk about that, that the pagan response to this, the pagan culture for pornography and, and things like that. So, if it's awkward, tough, it needs to be addressed, and uh, hopefully this can be of encouragement to, to some people. Um, so there's kind of four general points I want us to hit, and you gentlemen can bring in anything along the way. I want to talk about the problem of porn, the culture of porn, the humanist response, and then the Christian response uh, to pornography. So let me just start out. I wanted to read an article, and it's not really, I guess it's an, you know, an article from menshealth.com, not a news site, but not a site I'd recommend. Menshealth.com is not not a Christian site, but I want to read this to kind of set the stage and get us starting to interact with this. This was an article from this year, and it was entitled, Why Men Are Turning to Porn as a Mental Health Coping Strategy. So let me just read a few quotes uh, from this article. According to Fight the New Drug, an organization that seeks to explore use of pornography by analyzing scientific data and case studies, we're currently in a pornography epidemic which is having a terrible effect on our emotional well-being. And there's a quote here. It says, Porn offers consumers temporary relief from anxiety, depression, and loneliness in exchange for making these same problems much worse in the long term. Write the authors of an article titled How the Porn Industry Capitalizes on the Loneliness and Depression of Its Consumers. And one more quote here. Much has been written about pornography's derogatory effect. One study found 97% of physically aggressive acts in porn were directed towards women. Other studies have found that the more pornography a person uses, the more difficult it is for them to become aroused by a real sexual encounter, enforcing unrealistic expectations on your partners and your own sexual performance. All right, so there's a lot there in the article. The point is, with this article, and there's going to be some, I have another part of this to really critique of that article, but the the, the culture, even the non-Christian culture, is at this point looking around saying, well, maybe there's something of a problem here uh, with pornography. But they're not approaching it from the biblical perspective. So I want to start, if we can just lay the foundation here for the problem of pornography. Is this simply, you know, an issue that if if you do this too much, it's going to be a problem? What we need to ask the question as Christians, and even as non-Christians, as I mentioned there in the open, that everyone is required to follow God's law word. So we need to lay the foundation. What is pornography according to God? And Joel, I want to go to you first here and lay this out. Uh, is porn a violation of the law word of God? Uh, the, the printing of porn, the um, experience of pornography is a complete violation of, of the law of God. Um, the Tenth Commandment, start out, out with that, for example. Um, you shall not covet, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Now, why would anyone covet his neighbor's wife? We're not talking about their pumpkin pie here or their chocolate chip cookies. The reason why people covet their neighbor's wife is because uh, 
because they have other interests. Let's just say it that way. Other uh, vile and wicked interests. Here's the thing uh, about that. Um, when and, and and see, some will say, and, and here's the thing. Here's the heart of it. Some will say it's not what you think. It's it's what you do. And this is a real problem because the tenth commandment is not about what you do. The other commandments are about that. You know, don't worship other gods and so forth. Don't steal, kill, false witness, honor your father. That's that's about the doing. The tenth commandment, don't covet your neighbor's wife, is about what you think. Yes, you are not allowed to covet your neighbor's wife. And frankly, that wipes out porn completely. And that's an Old Testament. Christ didn't create a new thing. Just get that out of the way here. A lot of people think that Christ created a new law and says, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you know, you've, you've, already, you've already committed adultery with her. And was like, well, Christ introduced that. Well, no, he didn't. The 10th commandment says that pretty clearly. Yeah, that would be Dennis Prager's thing. Yeah, let's play that clip uh, real quick. We'll, we'll bring that up. Disgrace. There's a lot we could say about that. For those who aren't aware, Dennis Prager is with The Daily Wire, and he made some comments. No, on, he's with PragerU. PragerU. Yeah. Well, he's also... Okay, he's featured on The Daily Wire a He's lot. associated. Okay, but associated he, with The Daily Wire. Okay, so I stand corrected. But he did, a, he did a program with The Daily Wire, and he made some comments, and I think then he later tried to qualify them, and I'm going to play a clip from his later conversation where he tries to walk it back a little bit, and to be fair, I guess he was saying, well, I wasn't referring to this you know modern pornography whatever but his his initial comments were something along the lines of well you know men desire variety and you know if looking at porn helps them whatever then he later said well i wasn't talking about you know video porn i was talking about playboy from the 1960s in any case uh yeah have you seen his uh, interaction <laughs> I, I, I saw I, the original I'm feeling, I'm feeling better <laughs> i saw the original i didn't know that he was like made like an apology video uh, yeah, mm. I don't know if I call it an apology, but yeah. he did. He did. He did. He did say. Yeah, he did say. I probably didn't say that as clearly, and he tried to. And he did. He did reject what he called the pornification of of culture, and and he would say. I think to be fair, he would say, I I, I don't accept pornography videos, but I want to play this clip. Yeah. Well, I'll play the clip. We can interact with a little bit. I think it'll take us too off topic if we go too far into Dennis Prager's mind here. But speaking of in, in the mind, this, this is him talking about what he calls a, a Jewish and Christian distinction between your thought life. So listen to this. This is, I think, the only clip I have for today. I don't even remember how the issue arose, but I, I mentioned that there, that there is a Jewish-Christian difference with regard to Jesus' statement that a man who lusts after another woman has committed adultery with his heart. That... A, A, that phrase does not appear, obviously, in the Hebrew Bible, but B, that the general Jewish view, and I say general because I can't speak for, for all Jews, even though I try to be normative, uh, is that uh, you can only commit adultery with, and I said this in the video, and I and I purposely said I'm not trying at all to be cute right. in any way, you can only commit adultery with one organ and it is not the heart. Judaism is very uh, behavior-based. Christianity uh, is more, not, it's not that it's not behavior-based, but it is equally, if not more, uh, thought, inner self, right. heart-based. So, for example, there's a phrase in Hebrew that I learned very early in my yeshiva education. Uh, I'll say it in Hebrew for, so that people will know I didn't make it up. Yeah. It is not the thought that counts. That No, not that counts. That is the essence, but the deed. Right. I want right. to know how you act. 
the, the left does this all the time. Oh, you treat gays beautifully. Uh, like in my case, I am, I am, my wife and I are godparents to a gay couple's children. But the fact that I'm against a same-sex marriage, that makes me a hater. Mm-hmm. So how I treat gay, gays is irrelevant. It's, it's what I think. Uh, th- this bothers me that your thoughts can be regarded as a demerit. All right. So uh, I want to interact with that briefly. And then something else he said that I don't have a clip here for. But we're not talking about thought crimes here in the, in the civil sphere, right? I mean, in one sense, he's saying, look, I don't like that the left... Uh, they're trying to say what I think about homosexuals, uh, you know, should be a crime or something. I'm not sure if that's what he's getting at. I think we, we've talked about that plenty of times on this show when we're dealing with civil law and the application of God's law to the civil sphere. But that's really not exactly what we're talking about right now when it comes to pornography. We're, we're talking about what, what does God require of us? And what were your thoughts on that, Travis, on, on Dennis saying, you know, it's not about what you think. Yeah, I think <clears throat> I think this is an important distinction to be brought up <clears throat> because a lot of the times that I've interacted with other guys about the issue of pornography and lust, um, they go to this idea, especially the ones that are kind of nominally Christian. Uh, they'll go to this idea that you know, hey, it's okay to look, just don't touch, you know. And yeah, I've heard, heard that, that so yep. many times, and I think that. I think that committed Christian men can even kind of start to ease into that mentality because it's so pervasive in our culture and it's easy, you know, it's, it's so easy to just say, well, you know, as long as I'm not actually committing adultery physically with someone, then I'm at least being mostly faithful to my wife. And so I think that's, that's why this, this mentality that Prager represents here needs to be addressed. Right. And what, you know, he mentions, oh, this is not in the Hebrew Bible. This is something that, that in the New Testament, Jesus added. Uh, he's also very blurry, and I'm going to let Joel address that as well, but he's also very blurry on, on the distinction between sexual attraction and then lusting after someone. He, he really conflates. He doesn't seem to have a category in his mind for, for lusting after, and he even says coveting in the Tenth Commandment is, is totally different than lusting. So he doesn't have a category for sexual attraction sexual desire and then lusting after and dwelling on that and and coveting that that person in your mind and so then you could see well if that's your mindset pornography okay maybe it's not that big of a deal um but biblically we have this issue that the bible says to avoid the forbidden woman i'm going to make the case that pornography is is certainly an application of that of fornication so i want to again lay out this case uh, against uh, pornography from the biblical perspective first. Joel, any comments you have, and then Luke as well, on this idea that in the Old Testament, uh, God wasn't concerned with with our thought life? Yeah, there's an awful lot in the Old Testament. If we're going to do the Hebrew Bible, first of all, for uh, Dennis Prager, I, I, I didn't realize that it's the nine commandments, I suppose, right? Yeah. One through nine. Why are you coveting your neighbor's wife? Because she can bake cookies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That green bean, green, green bean, bean casserole. casserole's got to be in my house. Yeah, that's why I cover your wife yeah. now. <laughs> are you, are you nuts? <laughs> Okay, yeah. A homeboy is not reading his yeah, yeah. Bible. Hey, you know, my my wife can't do potato salad like your. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, Anyway, um, you, you know, here's the thing about that. Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, interestingly enough, is I think a parallel um, book to uh, the, the book of Deuteronomy. 
And you know, the fear of the Lord is a is quite a theme in both book in both books in both Deuteronomy and in Proverbs. And Proverbs speaks extensively about the strange woman. Pornography is the embellishment of the strange woman. Couldn't be stranger. Right? I mean, uh, uh, without getting into it too deeply, I mean, a prostitute might be in the corner, but you might kind of know who the woman is a little bit. Even more strange is pornography. Talk about talk about strange, right? And Proverbs has an awful lot to say about the strange woman, and none of it is good. And don't know if we'll get into this later, but <clears throat> Proverbs even, say, even says, many strong men have been slain by her. Mm-hmm. Not Not... Some weak men, many strong men. How dare Dennis Prager or anyone ever justify what the Bible says is wicked? And de- and, and I want to emphasize this: deadly. Look at what Proverbs has to say about how, you know. I mean, there, there, there's all these terms in the Book of Proverbs about the deadliness of this particular sin of of lusting after something that you're that you cannot have according to the word of god like like for example the one phrase till a dart strikes through his liver mm-hmm. now, now now there's there's a picture you know her house is is way to hell mm-hmm. these are pictures of, de- of deadly stuff or like the ox that goes to the slaughter this led away to the slaughter yeah, yeah. The throat is an open grave yeah, yeah. Do- dopey, um, you know, ox. Where we go? This we go here. But it's okay. The throat doesn't matter because there's only one organ you can commit adultery. Yeah, yeah I, 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 this, this is offensive, and frankly, deadly. What he, what he's saying. All right. So yeah, and there, there he, you can go check out that it was a Matt Frad interviewed. But this Dennis is, this, but this is my problem here. This is my problem with this. Right, homeboy says he's a Jew. Right, and this is the problem that I keep trying to tell people: Jews don't believe the Bible. They don't. They don't read the Bible. They don't meditate upon the Bible. It's good for a point here and there. But if the, okay, what's the most important prayer in the Jewish religion? The Shema, right? Right? What does that say? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. What does that mean? Does that that mean my thoughts, yay or nay? Right. Is, Is that included? So don't tell me that you're this big Jew you know, I'm I'm, I'm Jewish and I, and I and I love God. When the the Shema doesn't even come into your thinking when you're talking about sins of the heart, how can you possibly love God and not love your wife at the same time? You don't believe the Bible, Dennis. Yeah. Now he would say, you know, I, I love my wife and and my father loved his wife, even though he he look at Playboy. Uh, we can't get into all that right now. Uh, except to say that, yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> These people's like, uh, look at Playboy will help me love my wife better. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, Dennis Prager, we, we, we should do another episode of Luke because he's actually he's writing commentaries on the Old Testament books. Uh, I think he's done Deuteronomy, he's doing Leviticus, and I've gone through some of the Deuteronomy one, and there was some things there that were definitely very concerning. Mm. But let, let's let's table that for now. And focus here on the main issue. Uh, one other thing I did want to bring up real quick that he said was that he claimed that that Jews and Catholics believe in a gradation of sins and evangelicals do not. And, and my response was, well, the Reformed Christians certainly do. Uh, you can look at the Westminster uh, Larger Catechism or, or Keech's Catechism. Some sins in themselves and by reason of several aggravations are more heinous in the sight of God than others. So, you know, that was a point he was trying to make that, well, this is not as serious as other stuff. And, and, I think reformed, the Reformed catechisms would affirm that, but they would also affirm that all sin is heinous, and you can go down a path 
to more and more heinous sins. Uh, and so I, I don't know what his main point with that was. Okay, so we, we talked about the forbidden woman. Uh, you got the book of Proverbs uh, telling young men to avoid this forbidden woman. We have for, uh, in the New Testament, First Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. So my... my my base uh, baseline premise here for operating on what is pornography, it's it's not much different than the forbidden woman. Uh, it's the universal problem with fallen humanity, and it's the problem of fornication, which is what it's a man wanting to take from a woman what he has no right to, right? And you could flip it around the other way. Uh, certainly, there there are women that that view pornography, uh, but but obviously it's, it's statistically more of a male problem and i think there's a reason for that which we'll talk about a little bit pornography if you don't understand it in connection with fornication i think you're going to be missing the point because fornication is a violation of god's god's law word it applies to all people everywhere whether you're a christian or not if you break god's law you're going to suffer temporal consequences and eternal consequences uh if you don't have christ so the wait issue- a minute is fornication still a sin yeah indeed it is yeah because okay, I'm just not hearing about it anymore. I mean, I, I, I do catch radio preachers from time to time, and a lot of them talk about marriage and having a wonderful marriage and so forth and family. I'm just not hearing about fornication. Right. I, I, is my experience different from you guys? I, I'm not hearing about it. No. I mean, not, I don't think it's it's dealt with as much. Obviously, the culture has come to embrace it. So the pulpits, especially those that have compromised, are going to be parroting the culture's mentality so i I want us to get into before we get into really the humanist response and the christian response i want to lay this out a little bit more stepping back and looking at why are we why are we why do we have this problem and how do we kind of build a culture that is not so susceptible to porn i think our culture is extremely susceptible to pornography to Mm -hmm. fornication Mm -hmm. uh, for, for several reasons uh and so i think if we understand those reasons it doesn't justify porn use at all when we get to talking about how we should respond to this i think it's the biblical response is is definitely not it's not the 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 modern evangelical you know soft response oh well, you, you know you just fell into this and just try again so um i, I want to talk about the, the culture of porn and the further a culture uh, moves from god's law word especially in its social structure and roles the more flagrant uh, the more rampant flagrant sin will become so uh why the rise in porn in in our modern i mean in one sense we could say well this is not new fornication has, has been around since the fall this is a, a manifestation of of fallen man and, and fallen woman and just their their sin and and they need a new heart which is all true um and of course we read about the forbidden woman in the book of proverbs so these issues of 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 men women sexual desire sexual sin they're not new but something that uh, you brought up in your book luke uh, the sound doctrine of theocracy is that we really need to grasp the purpose of man that was a big part of your book i mean that's the introduction that's the framework and you deal with that specifically as it relates to the civil law um, but i think it also applies here when a society fails to understand the purpose of man serious problems follow and here's what i mean by that that if man's purpose is to glorify god right but as you point out luke while that's true that's not what how Genesis lays it out in, in, the, in the beginning of, of Genesis. Rather, it says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion 
over all things. That's Genesis chapter 1. So there in the first chapter of the Bible is a clear recognition that part, not, not all of it, but part, a serious part of man's God-given purpose involves man being sexually intimate with a woman. And now what's going to happen when you, when you lose the purpose for which God made man? Um, so let me open it up now, just as you guys think about why, why you think you know, our, our current culture is just awash in pornography, to the point that even, even the pagans are kind of saying, well, maybe this is getting out of hand a little bit. So, and then I want to give some more specific things here. Um, Luke, let me start with you on that. You know, as you look around and see where we're at as a culture, what do you think some of the reasons for that are? I, I agree with, uh, I think it was John Piper who said that America has this um, sexual atheism uh, that, we, that we have embraced. And uh, I think um, the verse uh, in... Exodus that says, you know, after they they ate and they drank, they rose up to play. I think this a sexual problem is going to come to any prosperous nation because you have time to focus on that sin. Whereas a poor nation doesn't have as much time, not to say they don't struggle with it. Um, of course, every nation um, is going to struggle with this. But they, I think they struggle differently. But I think that verse is indicative that when men and women who have rejected God have met the first two vital needs, food and drink, there's another need that they want. Uh, or there's another need that they, they, they pervert. And after they've fulfilled, after, when you live in a country that's fulfilled the first two very well, because we live in a, a country where food is a hobby, not necessarily a requirement, um, we have a lot of time to focus on that third need if you will use that term loosely but i think that's why we struggle with it so much in this culture is because we have the first two needs i remember reading uh out of the ice by victor herman coming coming out of the coming ice. out of the yeah. ice by victor herman and he said that the women in russia you know the people in the villages that were super poor they just didn't think or have time for sexual perversion the way that we do because it was they were just destitute and they had to focus too much on working they had to focus too much on where am i going to get food from next time they had to focus on too much on on drink they could not worry and nobody was thinking about um sexual impurity the way that we do because they just couldn't didn't have time but when you live in a prosperous nation and everyone's full with food and everyone's full with drink there's one more thing that it's really easy to uh, fall into institutional wickedness and that's sexual perversion. I think that's why our culture, you know, let, let alone the fact that we've rejected Christ, let alone that fact. Um, I think that's why our culture has really struggled with it because um, we've had time to focus on it. Yeah. Um, you want anything now? I want to build on this a little bit on the issue of uh, the culture. Anything you want to add before I put some more building I think, blocks I think there. we can keep building on that okay yeah. so as i've thought about this um I, I think i think you're right luke and i think part of it you mentioned there ties in with this idea and i think it is really all an abandonment of christ as as the creator and what he has built into us for our purpose so i'm gonna i'm gonna give i guess this would be a theological sociological analysis and i, don't, I think other people have probably done the same thing but I want to see what you guys think of this. Um, 
and again, this is where, you know, I think we should be a little frank about this stuff, not crass, but the pagan culture is frank about it. And they're addressing pornography very openly. And some of them are trying to help people stop. If you look, if you go search, you know, you'll find some, some non-Christian saying, hey, here, here's how you stop pornography. And we'll talk a little bit about their advice. And then you have, on the other hand, pagans who are like, no, I mean, this is, this is a great thing. Uh, you know, self-love is a great thing, and this is how this is how you can it can benefit you. So, the the pagan culture is being fr- frank about this, and I think unfortunately a lot of churches are not, and it's something that they're hiding, um, or and the, the churches I guess I would say are are, just, are not being open about. And I think one of the benefit, one of the consequence, not benefits, one of the consequence of that is then that you have young men, men in the churches who. Uh, don't think that this is something that can be talked about. And and this is one of the things, especially for young men. So God creates man, he gives, he creates man and woman, and he gives man uh, this duty, this charge to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, the only way that's going to happen is if God gives man a desire for that very thing, right? A, a, a desire to be with a woman sexually. If a man doesn't have that desire, you're never going to be fruitful and multiply. So, you know, God creates man. So you have boys growing up in the church, and you have young men who have this burning passion. Now, that's the language Paul uses, right? A burning passion to go out and find a woman and be with her intimately. I mean, Paul says it's a burning passion. If you have that passion, it's better to, it's better to marry. So, and, and the right use of that is you have this passion to find a woman that you would provide for, that you would win, that you would protect, that you would lead, and you would have the benefits of, of, a, of a godly wife, including the sexual relationship. Again, I say this not to be, to be crass, but to be frank, like the desire of men should be to go out, and again, we could talk about, you know, singleness, and there is a place for that, but that's, you know, but specifically with this, the general, de- the general desire and, and that men should have is a good desire to go out, work, find a woman, and impregnate her. And I say that not to be to be crass, but to be frank, because I have a story to tell with that. Um, when when I was um, uh, engaged with my, I guess we were engaged at the time with my wife, and we were you know getting ready for. I don't think we had set a date. Maybe we did. I think we had a wedding date, and, and a family friend was concerned, or a family member was concerned <clears throat> that uh, you know that we shouldn't have children right away once we get married. And so there was there was a meeting set up with with a pastor. He wasn't my pastor, but a, another family member's pastor who uh, he was Hispanic guy because my wife's family is Hispanic. And I just it was so funny because we sat down and I get he was kind of brought in to try to encourage us not to have children right after we got married. And and w- we sit down in front of him. This is a pastor. This is a pastor. Yeah. And what he says. So so there's a bit life of, coach. Right. There's a, there's there's a bit of a language thing because his first language is Spanish, but he's speaking in English. And so the first I mean, he might have said hello and whatever. But the first thing he said then in terms of the conversation was, so, Chris, I hear you want to impregnate your wife. <laughs> I said, well, well, yeah. <laughs> so, again, I'm not saying that to, to be crass. There's a frankness that that's 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 supposed to to, to happen. In Being the con- far from you to, to, to do that. I mean, ever. Right. You should be married for 60 years and never impregnate your wife. Right. Shame on you. So that that's a good desire. Mm-hmm. And we we need to teach young men to harness that desire 
not suppress it. And I think this is one of the problems. If you teach young boys that their natural att- attraction to, to the female body, to, 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 to women, is bad, then they're taught to push that desire down and they're taught to treat it as a despicable, shameful thing. And so, and this is, an, I have an example of this in our culture. I mean, this is just complete pagan culture that you see this, this nonsense that was happening. I don't know if it's still happening. Um, I was watching some, you know, commentary news podcasts and, and they were talking about how these women were going around in these gyms and they would set up their phone to film themselves and they would strip down to their sports bra and, and be very scantily clothed. And then their whole thing would be how upset they were that some of the men were glancing at them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you ever had these, these women that work at Hooters and, and, and guys are making comments. Y- yeah. You're working at Hooters. Yeah. <laughs> now, we certainly have some critiques of, of any sort of comments or crass comments because we're not about that. But the, but the point there is that our culture has this mentality right. that a man's sexual desire for a woman is something that is that is evil and shameful and wicked. And you see that with, with feminism just going through the roof. Mm-hmm. The problem is is not the problem is you men and he, and even some of these videos like it's a sideways glance. You could say, well, well, this guy, I mean, he's not even indulging. I mean, you see this figure. I mean, you're going to naturally, whoa, what, what is this? And then, okay, okay, I probably shouldn't be looking at that. But they were even, oh, why are you glancing at me mm-hmm. when you're when you're showing all your goods to the world? So, um, th- that that's so. So this is what I think happens. It may be in evangelicalism, and I don't want, I know I'm going on here. I want you guys to interact with this. Um, it's, this is what happens, I think, in in a culture, especially with ready access to, to pornography is if you have a weak evangelical culture that is afraid to deal with the reality that God made men to go out and find a woman and lie with her, if you have a culture that's afraid to, to deal with that and address it biblically, you're going to have a culture of, of young, young boys and teenage boys that are, are going to be taught, well, I guess this burning desire I have to, is, is wrong. It, it's, it's, there's no way it's going away. But the whole church is telling me this is this is a problem. The culture is telling me this is a problem. The problem is with the men. It's not with you know. It's not with the scantily clad women. What what is a young teenage boy going to do in that case if he doesn't have the counsel and the discipleship? He's going to say, well, this is this. I'm already an evil person apparently that I want this. And so, what's the difference if I just take it one step forward and watch pornography? Because apparently my desire for for uh, sexual intimacy is not something that can be harnessed. All I can do is push it down and keep it hidden. So why not embrace pornography? And and I think that the, the church has failed to really teach men to harness their sexual desire, which I think is a good thing and should be harnessed. So that's where I think I want to open it up and see what you guys think about that. You know, I'm going to um, maybe go a, a different direction here. Um, most many people are familiar probably with Louis L'Amour novels and Louis Louis L'Amour has this kind of figured out because oftentimes his you know and his if you're not familiar his novels are growing up in the west and conquering the west and so forth and building and making and doing which is what young men should be thinking about building making doing fixing if you will uh, dominion is is what that's about and interestingly enough his heroes in his books generally they they they, they're interested in in women but they they, he constantly says or his hero says i have nothing to offer her 
but he's very interested in a wife. And so what he does is he makes himself worthy, the hero, makes himself worthy of a woman. His sexual desire drives him Mm -hmm. to make and to do and to build. Interestingly enough, we don't see that enough in Christian writing. Louis L'Amour, though, generally speaking, has that figured out. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's exactly the point that I'm trying to make. Yeah. Travis. Yeah, it's a it's an issue of channeling those energies. You know, I I have daughters that are very motivated girls and you know, as a parent, uh my wife and I over the years have been seeking how do we channel this energy? This, you know, this ambition that that our daughters have, which is good. We don't we don't want to squelch that. We want to channel it in the right direction. And I would say I don't have any sons, but it it's the same thing here. What are our sons doing uh, in the church? What are they do? Are they playing video games all day? And you know, just like they have no purpose in life. And but to Chris's point, the idea of helping young men in the church to see that this is God's uh, design for them. God's design for them is to build and make and to devote themselves to one woman and to pour their lives out into that relationship under God in order to create culture, to build family. You know, all of these things are something that a man can devote his life to and his energies to. And, you know, a woman is a force multiplier. You know, we give to her and she turns it into all kinds of blessings. And that can be said sexually as well as in the other aspects of our life. You know, the old saying, like, I'm the breadwinner. I bring home the bacon. Yeah, but the wife has to make it and put it on the table, you know, and and sexually, that's the same thing. You know, we give her something and she produces children for us. And so, um, you know, there's there's some definitely some helpful insights there. Uh, something I wanted to point out um, in reading Wilson's book, uh, Fidelity, is really helpful on this issue. Uh, and he actually quotes Milton in there uh, and uses the term effeminate slackness. That's what ends up happening to men who devote themselves to fornication. They, be, they become effeminately slack. Mm-hmm. They're not devoted to one woman with all of their lives devoting all of their energies into that relationship and they effectively become effeminate and slack slothful useless basically and that's what that's one of the consequences uh, of this devotion to sexual immorality whether it be pornography or in any other way and you can look at proverbs and and many other places in scripture where you know like uh, solomon says you know don't don't let your your fountain run out into the streets all over. it basically becomes a swamp then mm-hmm. you know uh focus on that that cistern that is yours and it'll be life producing that's right luke anything anything you want to add to that um what dad said about you know the the sexual desire um what feminism and now the red pill community, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the red pill community, but the red pill community is, is, is basically um, chauvinism, basically. It's, 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 it's a response and a reaction to feminism in such that it's Like now, Andrew Tate. By, like yes, it's yeah. now being pushed the, the extreme opposite. Mm-hmm. You know, the pendulum is way on the and other Chris side. Chris has a good article on that in, in the Lancaster Patriot. Yes, check it yeah. out. 
Um, oh, what's it called, Chris? Uh, I think it's called of, of Andrew's Tate's of Andrew Tate's uh, appealing ditch. Okay. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yes. Um, and uh, the, the the so so what's happening there is um, with feminism and the red pill community. You know, Dad, you talk about the sexual drive to become worthy of her. Feminism and the red pill community are are just kind of rewarding the sexual drive without becoming worthy of a woman. They're, they're just getting rid of that. They're turning women into these, you know, uh, trying to make the, the identification of a woman. They want women to identify with, um, uh, with uh, how, how would I say it, uh, lowliness, a lack of self-respect, a lack of viewing your body as a temple. You know, it's just something to be trashed and used however you want, just kind of like uh, like an old towel. It doesn't really matter. You know, body counts way up there. You know, feminism doesn't. Abortion. Abortion, just, yes. Right, okay. so so uh, feminism encourages that in women. Shout your abortion. You know, live the life that you want to live. Have no kids. Work for your career and do whatever, the, uh, do whatever the heck you want. And the red pill community is kind of saying something similar to the men. Hey, you know, it's okay for you to have a high body count. Just the women that you're with, make sure they have low body counts. Basically, is 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 what they're saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, make sure they they're safe you, and make sure you have you have a lot of sexual partners, but they have none, right? And 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 to me, it's almost like an unholy matrimony. It's kind of like happening here that the feminists and and the red pill community are almost saying the same thing. Um, the the. Uh, on the one hand, the feminists are saying high body count doesn't matter and do whatever the heck you want with your life. And the red pill community is just like, hey, take advantage of that. You know, take advantage of, of the low of the, the lack of self-respect that women have for each other. And so the, the the sexual drive that men have is being encouraged. And the um, the, the femininity and the self-respect and, and the the guarding of oneself in the in the females is not be, is being discouraged. Right, because that's I mean, as soon as you tell a woman dress modestly or, or what have you, that's slut shaming, you know, and all that kind of stuff. They have all these words and they have all these they have all these ways to stop women from protecting themselves. Go out with your girlfriends to the club as the best place to be. Don't need a male escort. Don't need a man pr to protect you. You know, so they they're just making women more and more vulnerable, and the desire for men to become worthy of a female that the bar is getting lower and lower. We don't have to become worthy of her anymore. You don't have to. She's already waiting, uh, uh, ready and willing to be used and abused by you because of the culture that we live in and, and the low view of sex um, that these women are just walking around asking to be abused and men are looking around for people to abuse, also not realizing that they're abusing themselves as well. Right, because you have the, this, this mentality of, of Andrew Tate and others where y you'll say, okay, you know, you need to go out there and we're going to tell you how to how to utilize you know your sex drive and, and be with as many women as as you possibly can mm -hmm. and so they're not teaching men to harness their sexual desire drive what have you mm -hmm. un, in, to a to a good end of serving a woman and yes. protecting her and they're saying look just just take advantage of just, this. Just take advantage. And if you have to, and, and seriously, the right people community, and some of them are like, just lie, cheat, steal. I mean, it doesn't matter. Don't have to be faithful. Just do whatever, do, do whatever the heck you want. And, and let me say something real quick about, you know, women, I mean, I'm not saying just because they dress a certain way, they're asking to be abused, but I, but I do compare it to this. If a man makes a lot of money and he goes to the worst part of a neighborhood and he takes out that money, starts flashing it around, and then he gets robbed, 
you know, obviously, who's 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 the who's the uh, um, who's the perpetrator? Well, the person who robbed him. It's his fault. But who's the fool? Right. The man who pulled out the money. Now, and and as much as I'd like to slap the robber and get the money back, I'm still going to say to the man, hey. Maybe you shouldn't be doing that. Maybe you shouldn't be flashing your money in front of these bad people because they're going to take it. You're being foolish. You're being stupid. Right. So that's the view that men take towards women who do not dress appropriately, just aside. Yeah, and, and, and the culture, I mean, and thankfully in the church, there, there is a, a restraint for this, but the culture as a whole tells men that women are not for you to lead, protect, and provide for. They say, no, that, the feminist message is, no, men, you, you are not going to we're not going to we're not going to allow you to lead us and protect and provide for us in the pagan culture and so what 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 the men do then is like well they have this natural desire to do that and i think that's why some of the things andrew tate says is perverted and twisted as they are it's like okay i get where you're coming from with that but then what they do is because from their you know fallen humanist perspective they're like well since 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 women don't want to be led you know I, i'm going to have to do everything i can to 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 get as many women as i can because and that's where some turn to pornography well since the women don't you know there's no women out there for me i guess i'm just going to watch porn so uh yeah it, it's quite a mess travis you want to add something well i think that luke's point is is needed in the church um you know one of the bigger issues for the women not to say that porn and lust are not an issue for women but generally speaking uh women tend to want to be admired and lusted after would be the sinful tendency and that's where immodesty comes in and the right use of that would be to be want to be admired by their husband yes. and desired sexually by their husband yes. a place for it right so i bet it, it is something kind of like joel said earlier about uh fornication not being talked about i would say modesty is not talked about mm. in the yeah, church even less yeah yeah and that that is another separate issue that yeah maybe yeah, well, talk about this a little bit because um I'm, I'm going to say something offensive to many people, and that is that it's still a man's world in, in, in this way. I think feminism is basically male-driven. Mm. I'm, I'm going to tell you why yes. I, I believe that. Yep. Be, because the feminism basically says we can do what we want with our bodies, and we don't need protection from you males. Well, now we've seen what not needing protection from husbands looks like. You look at these murder mysteries and so forth on, on TV, and, and there's so many. I mean, there's more and more like on YouTube of these uh, of these shows of crime shows, and it's a lot of them are women being killed by men. Well, feminism told us that women can protect themselves. Mm. Well, it's not working. So if you're a if you're a lustful man, a lecherous man, you would welcome you would to your point, Luke. You would love the feminist movement yes. because the feminist movement says we don't need protection. When they do need protection, it's obvious by now they need protection. But the the more protection women need, it's like the more feminism rises to tell us mm -hmm. that they don't need protection. And this is wonderful for lustful, lecherous men. It, it just it just serves them up on a platter for for horrible men. It just does. It just takes out all the defenses, all the walls are protecting them, and, and just exposes yeah. them completely. And to, can to we them. not see this is exactly what's happening? Can we not see this? And and, and real quick on, on the, I was just going to say this before, but I didn't have time. Um, on the fornication issue, the church not talking about it. I used to attend a church um, where I had to confront two different couples in the worship team who were living together in my own church on the worship team. And it wasn't, I'm not the pastor. 
but I had to do it. Right. Were you any kind of official in the church, like an elder? Or no. I was just, at times, I, you know, I played on the worship team. Sometimes I was a worship leader. We'd rotate. But it was, it was left to me. No elders, to, no to do something about it. Nobody did anything about it. Right. I was the one who had to make the phone calls and, 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 and confront people and tell people you shouldn't be doing that. Right. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not even a church official. But that's how much is not talked about. Do you think it just would have gone on and on and on? Yes. Was the leadership aware of it? I think, I think, um, I mean, I, I can't, I can't say, I don't know. I, I gotta say as a pastor, if you're not aware of someone in, in your church and they're living together, um, if, if, if you're suspecting it, it's your job to find out definitely. And, um, I mean, it wouldn't be that hard. Uh, they come to church maybe in the same car, like early in the morning. I mean, this might be a time to ask a question or two. Right. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Well, just to wrap up th this section here, there's, I haven't read this book, that, but there's a book by J.D. Unwin. I don't know if he's a believer or not, but it's called Sex and Culture. And uh, I found some from segments of it here from KirkDurston.com. But one of his main things is apparently in this book he argues, he looks at a bunch of different cultures and he says whenever a culture is given over to sexual freedom, inevitably it collapses every single time. And he talks a lot about social energy. Um, and the idea is if if men are not uh, working to build and provide in order to to attract a woman and win her over this they will not be building culture and that the society will collapse um, he says uh, if total sexual freedom was embraced by a culture this might be a summary of what he said that culture collapsed within three generations to the lowest state of flourishing which Unwin describes as inert and at a dead level of conception and is characterized by people who have little interest in much else other than their own wants and needs. At this level, the culture is usually conquered or taken over by another culture with greater social energy. So that goes to the harnessing. Uh, if, if you have men in your society who are not harnessing their masculinity, their sexual desire in order to, to win over one woman and provide for her, and raise up children and build and and advance civilization your society will will crumble um so okay uh real quick to to bring this section to a close i am i am concerned just to reiterate that the evangelical church the message they're sending to the young boys maybe implicitly is that your sexual desire is the problem since it's not talked about Maybe when it is talked about, it's simply uh, parroting the, the feminist culture that, you know, in, in this aspect that, oh, you know, the men are the problem. They, they, want, they want to look at women and that's such a problem. So you, you, teach, uh, you teach implicitly the, the young men growing up in, in the church culture that, that their desire is the problem. And then you actually make sex into this isolated biological function. And that, I think, does two things. One... It leads people like we're going to read from this article from Men's Health to say, you know what? Everything in moderation, a little porn is fine. A little fornication is fine. It's no big deal because you've just kind of made it th this biological thing. And two, it leads people, often women, uh, to treat teenage boys' sexual desires as something to be suppressed and quieted like a nasty cough, right? Or rather than something that's very good that needs to be directed and harnessed. And I think it's especially hard for women if there's single mothers to understand that and to to, to teach their boys, this is not a problem you have. The problem is going to be if you are mastered by your desires instead of mastering them. So I think when you, when you look at the, the pagan culture analyzing what's going on, you can see some truth to what they're saying as far as, you know, this is an epidemic of loneliness. 
Like you, you usually don't think about that for men, but that's what the, these these articles are saying. Man, men are lonely and they're turning to pornography. Well, that makes sense when you understand that you've you've destroyed the purpose or you've attempted to destroy the purpose for which God created man, and now he has no purpose and, and no way to go win a woman, and so he turns to pornography. I'm not justifying it. We're going to turn now to the response to it, but I wanted to lay that out. Um, if, if you take a generation of young men who have a natural desire to go out and win a woman, provide for her and be with her, and you teach them that's evil, and then you tell women, you tell the women out there, hey, you go train for a career, you, you go you know, advance your career as far as you possibly can, don't think about you know, giving yourself to a man, what's the message to the young men? Well, I guess there are no women out there for me to go win, and since my sexual desire must be evil anyway, why not indulge in porn? And I think that's what's going on on the surface. You're still culpable for that, but anything else you, got, you, want, you want to add to that, Luke, uh, before we move on to the next section? I just know a friend of mine once I was having a discussion with him, and, and he was, um, he was uh, you know, he's not a Christian, but he was justifying pornography, and, and, and eventually I, I asked him about it, and he said, uh, I mean, I, I, I kept talking with him about it over months and years and stuff like that, and eventually he said, you know, it's true when I when I when I engage in pornography, the passion with my wife is not there. Mm-hmm. It is a it is a destroying disease. It is absolutely um, a parasite that will destroy you. And especially, you know, you talked about fighting a new drug, and I've read testimonies from from that, which are horror stories of marriage ending, um, uh, just sex in general. You can't have sex anymore at all because you can't get turned on and you can't, you can't function in a one-on-one relationship in a, you can't function normally. You, you need perversion in your life. And, um, you know, that's, I, so many men have been taught that, yeah, whatever, a little bit of porn is fine. Um, but that's just like saying a little bit of heroin is fine. It's, it's not going to end there. It's it's going to destroy everything. Well, yeah. this might be a good time for me to um, make a put forth a negative commercial uh, for everybody. As a pastor, I am sometimes called on to speak at uh, weddings. Um, you know, do that little homily thing that uh, everybody's like. Uh, let's hear from the pastor. Let's give him fifteen minutes to um, make us all feel good. Um, I'm, I'm going to tell you not to invite me to that position uh, to, to speak at your wedding. Because I will talk about porn every time I've been at a wedding and spoken publicly at a wedding, I've mentioned porn, and the re- and it's offensive to some people. But the reason why I do it is because, and I will do it in the future. Um, the last wedding I spoke at, I warned him, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring this up because it is the number one. It's not money. I mean, you know, the people that don't want to talk about it say it's money, incompatible, whatever. It's porn. P-O-R-N will destroy you, it'll destroy your wife, it'll destroy your children, and it'll destroy and, and you're beginning a pattern of destruction here. It's the number one attacker on man. I can't stand there in a wedding, you're like, oh, you know, perfect what pride, perfect groom, and, and oh, isn't isn't this wonderful? It is wonderful, but there is a, a monster 
lurking and it will destroy everything. So my negative commercial is if you don't want to hear about this at a wedding, do not, definitely do not invite me uh, to speak at your wedding. I mean, because I will. Yeah, where people lining up, you got a long wait list. No, no, I don't have that weekend open. <laughs> um, well, yeah, that, that that'll move us into, I guess, more of the response against it, which might be considered negative. But I wanted to first kind of maybe I didn't do the best job, but build a positive case that you know I played that that clip in the open there from Secondhand Lions where. You know, the guy said, you know, he asks who he is and he says, he says who he is. You know, he's fought in these wars. He's led men and he's loved one woman with a passion that a flea like you would never understand. And, and that's the positive side that I think the church really needs to embrace mm -hmm. to teach the young men, you know, hey, this is not simply, you know, everything's negative out there. You are called to take dominion of, of yourself, of your desires, and you are called to take dominion by finding a woman who will submit to you and you will lead in love and provide for her and care for her and that's a really good thing and i think we have to just as much as we need to attack with uh you know veracity the the evil of porn we need to also be teaching our young men this is what you this is how you should be using your your sexual desire so i think we've created a culture just like we've created a culture for abortion you know, it doesn't excuse it, but you, when you have a civil government that says, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna provide for you if you're if you're single and you have a kid," you know, or we're gonna provide for all these abortions and we're gonna teach you that children are a, a hindrance, then you're gonna have an a rise in abortion. It's inevitable because when you when you create the the, con, the culture for sin and you give fallen man free reign in that culture, sin sin abounds. Okay, uh, l let's go to to the response here. And maybe we can get to some more practical things real quick. I mean, the humanist response, it's uh, – this is um, – let me see here. I want to read a quote from this Men's Health article again. Mark Butler is a mental health strategist and a clinical director of the Bay Retreats Rehabilitation Program. He has written extensively about porn usage and argues that porn as a tool to encourage sexual arousal isn't a problem. The problem is that so few of us use it in that way. I mean, just complete lunacy there. Um yeah, it's not that. It's it's just how you use porn that's the problem. Um, and then the end of their article, they say this. Uh, if you're concerned that porn is becoming a frequent impulse, try going out for a run, practicing yoga. Yeah, I'm sure yoga will help. The pagan <laughs> thing. Or engaging in mindfulness instead. All of which help us tune into our underlying emotions. <laughs> we can fix porn with yoga. <laughs> hey, uh, I'll just say this. When I was at the Sheriff's Academy, um we're up there you know and there were uh, i want to say there were four four ladies in our class at the academy and there were maybe like 30 total of us and one of the things that we had to do during our physical training we had to yoga? do yoga oh. oh my word that was to me that I'm was feeling just safe. an indication of where our culture is Oh my, um, oh my! You know, oh. and and they they said, well, for all of you guys out there, you chauvinists, we can just call it dynamic stretching. Oh, uh, and you know, it was kind of the joke amongst all the guys. Like, I can't believe they have us doing yoga, but seriously, that's okay, that where this that's better. where this feminism has has pushed everything and the effeminacy of our culture. Well, didn't we were at? I don't know if you were there at one of the prison Lancaster County prison things, and they're they're introducing their yoga program. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, fix recidivism. I'm sorry, cut you off. I can that yoga thing. <laughs> 
<laughs> right. Uh, so he says, do these things. What the uh, world needs now is yoga. Anyway. <laughs> uh, the article goes on says, which isn't to say cutting out porn use entirely is necessarily the answer. And then they quote this Butler guy. Everything in moderation, I would say. But don't let porn become the primary driver of regulating or dealing with feelings. Ask what is the motivation behind it and what reward is the expectation about? And most importantly, is it interfering with an otherwise healthy relationship with a partner and with sex? Being honest about that will give you the answer. All right, so just a bunch of <laughs> wicked nonsense, and it doesn't help anybody. So yeah, yeah, maybe you can do it a little bit. It's That's what happens when you don't view it as an addiction. Right. You don't view or it as sin. addiction right. or sin. Yeah, right. this, is, this is what happens. But know? this is completely unrealistic. In the middle of your porn experience, you're you're, you're saying, uh, "What is the motivation behind what I'm doing?" And uh, and and let's see, uh, what what is my expectation about? And is this interfering with other important relationships? You're thinking about the right in the middle of your porn experience, right? right. I mean, it's so unrealistic. All right, I, I want us to get into in in a moment. For the final time, and, and especially we have some time before Luke has to leave, the response, and I do want to give some encouragement. I think the, the, the biblical response is way harder and, and more you know, to the throat than what the modern evangelical response is, but because of that, it does have way more grace and the opportunity for, for change. But just to, to speak of the nonsense of this, to get rid of this idea as we start that you know maybe a little bit of, of porn is fine. I'm, we're not dealing with it as a violation of God's law. We're not dealing with it as fornication. I mean, let's say you have a guy sleeping with his girlfriend, like you were dealing with in that church, sleeping with his girlfriend every other night. And you say, hey, you know, just do this less. You know, start out, and this is the Michael Knowles advice. Well, just do it. Start out by sleeping with your girlfriend, and he was talking about porn, but in this example, every three nights, right? And then go to every four nights. Uh, and then every five, you know, five nights. And you'll just slowly you know, get to a position where you don't need to do that anymore. And that is the approach that, I mean, Michael Knowles has said something like that in regards to porn. I saw a Muslim teacher say the same thing. Just do it a little less. Now, I hope a Christian response to fornication, you know, with, with a man and his girlfriend wouldn't be, hey, you know, just do this less or, hey, you know, you just, and this is something you've, we've brought up before when people are talking about, oh, yeah, all this, you know, people are just getting pregnant. It's like, you you... You and your girlfriend, you didn't fall into the sin. You didn't just happen to get undressed. You didn't happen to undress your girlfriend. You didn't just happen to get in bed with her, and whoops, you ended up having sex. Like, no, this is, this is something that you consciously choose to do, which even takes us a little bit beyond, well, just the thought. If you're viewing pornography, you are putting yourself in that position and, and taking taking action. And if we don't deal with it, which I want to turn now to, to the Christian solution, if we don't deal with that as a sin and a violation of God's law, I don't think we'll ever get off the ground. Anything you want to say about that? Yeah. It, what you're doing when you're viewing pornography and, you know, it's, it's an active thing. You're actively paving the roadway to relational adultery with another woman other than your wife uh you know you're you're paving that pathway and then it's just so much easier to just jump on and just go with it and even if even if it never culminates in adultery with another woman physically and it's just constantly pornography we still have all these problems well that, yes that even the pagans are saying but more to the point you're just you're willingly sinning over and over and over again and we're going to get into that i have some things to share from john owen but just from for, for the christian just the position that you're putting yourself in 
and the amount of disobedience in your life that this is it's going to lead to consequences so uh, i want to open it up here to start out and I'll start with luke um what's the message we have for a man you know we tried to say here's a foundation what we need to be teaching the young man what's the message for a man who says i, I am a christian and this is a problem in my life I mean, what do we say to that i mean do we say hey well you're, you're not a christian and there's no hope for you uh you know and then what's the solution to dealing with this sin uh, yeah there's there's no on or off button for this problem for men there's just this it's not it's it's similar to seeing a ripped guy at the gym and being like hey how do i get like that well the answer is long and the answer is discipline and hard work and um, I mean, you know, you, it's, it's it's very similar to that in, in my opinion. There's no just there's no quick fix for this kind of problem, um, especially men who have experienced pornography at a young age and carry that perversion with them into adulthood. There's, there's I'm sorry, there's no quick fix. Um, I think um, the Bible, you know, the, my my foundational verse is. Um, Second Timothy two twenty two, which a lot of people you know quote, and rightly they do, um, but it's flee youthful lust, and I flee think, flee not fight right yeah flee not fight yeah okay yeah this is a good point dad but I, I think the the important thing um, one of the important things to take away from that verse is you know as as men what, what I mean when I'll give you an example when, when I bought you know um, before I bought my truck. I did not take myself seriously as um, a, a, like a business owner. I didn't. But when I bought that truck, suddenly I started associating myself with running a side business with a, with a side hustle. Um, and, and I became serious about it. I started to associate because I got that truck. I started to associate myself more and more until I wasn't happy until I was doing the side business. Um, the, 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 the issue with pornography when men engage in, in pornography, they they are feeding a version of themselves that is okay with what's happening on that screen. And if you keep feeding that version of yourself, that monster is ultimately going to become you and squash the other you that you're trying to feed righteously. It's going to, you know, eventually that monster is going to become your main personality. And that's all you care about. And that's all you want to do. You're feeding that monster so that you associate yourself with that wickedness. It becomes something that, yeah, I could see myself doing this. Yeah, I could see myself treating a woman this way. Yeah, I could see myself doing that. Um, it, it starts off with curiosity, and then it becomes lust, and then it becomes association. You associate yourself with the perversion, and then it becomes you. You become that person. And the more you, you feed pornography, the more it is difficult for you to function the way that God is meant to, uh, meant for you to function. And I say this because you have to flee youthful lust so that you do not associate yourself with youthful lust anymore. You can't look at yourself and say, yeah, I would do that, or yeah, I want to associate myself with that. I want to be that person. You've got to identify and teach yourself to identify. And again, it takes a lot of work, but you've got to identify yourself with not being somebody who lusts youthfully. You've got to um, feed the righteousness 
um, that the Holy Spirit has given you. You've got to make, feed and maintain and grow it and work it out so that you do not associate yourself and you do not identify with that form of wickedness anymore so that when it even comes to you the lust is i mean the temptation is always going to be there but the i believe the strongest found uh, the strongest practical way besides cutting off your right hand and plucking out your right eye the strongest practical way when you get up to when you see these old guys and the idea of cheating on their wife at all has become odious to them why because they associate themselves so much with their wife and so much um, with being faithful to her, that the idea of cheating on her is no longer attractive. And I believe every man can get to that point has, has by the Holy Spirit. The pornography at some point, the more you associate yourself with righteous living, pornography will no longer become attractive to you. And to say tempting, it will not become attractive to you. You will not associate yourself with that. So I think the, the, the best way uh, to do it, and again, this is Psalm 119, how can a man keep his way pure? By following your statutes. Why? Because you're associating yourself with God's ways. Your identity is in God. Your identity is in, fo identity is in following, following his word. And the more you do that, the, the harder it is for you to identify with sin and wickedness. Sorry, that was long-winded, but I believe that's uh, a very useful tool against pornography. Yeah, yeah. Um, is there a final statement or you got a few more minutes? Um, uh, I don't know. I guess that's my final. You can uh, stick around. Please uh, do. Yeah, and I was just going to say one more yeah, thing. Yeah, share, real share quick, some more thoughts. Real quick about um, uh, you know, men, men loving women. Um, uh, you know, and associating yourself with that. You know, women um want an ex women want an exclusive love, and I've seen men really, really not misunderstand this. They treat women the way that they want to be treated, but that's not how you do it. Women don't want to be treated the way you are treated. They want an exclusive love. They do not want to be treated like one of the guys. Because I've seen a lot of guys do this. They're like, well, I, I, treat, I treat her like one of my buddies. They don't want that. They do not want to be treated like one of the guys. They want to know that they are special. They stand out, that you're cleaving to them, as, as, as Genesis 1 talks about. You know, he will cleave to, you don't cleave to your buddies. You don't cleave, cleave to your friends. You cleave to one person, and that's your wife. And she wants to know that you're cleaving to her. She she needs that. It's it's not just a desire. It's she's it's a need. She needs to know that there is a love that's meant only for her. And pornography feeds a love that is completely perverse. That is not for your wife. It it feeds that monster inside you that you eventually identify with. And the more that you cleave to your wife, the less you will identify with feeding that wickedness and being that sexual pervert that pornography wants you to be yeah and you um you can't serve two masters i mean no and an application of that in the sense of yeah if you're loving your wife you you can't indulge in pornography no no that's that's well said because when the two masters comes there's two possibilities for the two master situation love the one and hate the other right in this case it's an application love your wife if you really love your wife you're going to hate all these attempts to make her look bad and to make her her look like she's second best you're going to hate it but but if you if you don't approach it that way it's the other one is cling to one and despise the other if a husband is into pornography we know what's getting clung to and we know what ultimately gets despised mm -hmm. his wife because yeah. she's not that fake picture that you see on the screen right and right. and and just to drive this point home what i was going to say too i forgot to, to mention this but 
you know, the, the, the term youthful lust, I keep going back to the term youthful. Okay, so when you see a mature man, he doesn't have an obsession with Legos because he matured out of it. He no longer associates himself with just sitting on the floor and playing with toys. If you see a man do that, um, he's an immature man. He needs to mature his way so that he doesn't associate himself, so that he associates himself more with being a man and what God has told him to do, and that's his identity. But if he may, if he holds on to this youthful immaturity that I want to play on the floor all day and drink milk and and play with toys and poop in my pants, you know that that is an immature man. He he has a youthful desire. And it is an inappropriate desire. It is the same with sexual maturity. You have got to flee the desire to be youthful in your lust so that you mature your way out of it so that no longer become... I don't think anybody in this room wants to poop in their pants and play with play with uh, toys on the floor all day long and, and drink milk. We don't want to do that because we don't associate ourselves with that anymore. It's not a temptation for us anymore. We don't think about it, right? We've matured beyond it. And I think that the, the flee youthful lust... You've got to mature your way so that's not youthful anymore. You're, you've got to mature your way so that you have a mature love f and, and so that you do not identify yourself with the youthful lust. And that's, that's all I want to say. Okay. Thank that's you, Luke. A, that's a great point, Luke. And, and it, it gets to something that needs to be done. It's not the whole answer, but as men, we understand the concept of yeah, he needs slapped upside the head. You know, like we get that. Yeah, that has to do with like drastic action, and 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 you're talking, Chris, about. Thanks, Luke. See you later. <laughs> See you, Luke. See ya. Um, you're you're talking. We're talking here about solutions, mm -hmm. and we have an example of someone with a solution who was faced with this, and that's Joseph. And we we know what Joseph did, and and I'm intrigued by this. I want to read this here because Joseph was tempted by his master's wife. And he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house and he's committed all that it has to my hand. And so we know that Joseph was a, a, a young man, a, a youthful man. He had tremendous responsibility. Attract, apparently he was very attractive and he was a, uh, an official in, or he, he ran the house of a high Egyptian official. And, and it's intriguing to what he says because this has to do, this is for Christian young men here who call yourselves Christian. And do you really love God? Do you really want to serve him? Because I want you to hear what Moses, or Moses, what Joseph has to say. And, and so what happened was, it says, he says to her, he says, um, he refused. My master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in the house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you. Because you are his wife. That's all he needed. Think about that. You're his wife. That's it. No more. And then he goes on to say this. He says, but you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Mm -hmm. He was committed to God first. He was going to serve God. He was going to do the right thing first. And that solved the problem. And when it comes to drastic action here, I believe what happens next, she says she day after day, she was a problem for him. One day she, she grabs his coat and says, lie with me. And he runs out without his coat. And I'm intrigued by that because it seems to me that I think what's happening is Joseph knew he was at a crisis point. He was either going to run, he was going to either flee this, this lust, 
or he was going to succumb to it. He wasn't. He didn't have the mental strength to actually stand there and fight it and stand and talk with her and have a discussion about it anymore. He knew he had to take drastic action, and he took the action that he took, knowing probably what no knowing what was going. I mean, think about think about this. He, I think, he had to know what was going to happen. Um, his man, you know, Potiphar was going to be embarrassed. You got a wife that's that is not faithful to you. He's running out without his coat. Oh, what does that look like? The guy gives us an example, a solution to lust. Right. And I want to take on that and build on it for a, for a final segment here, really get into some, I guess what we could say is practical things. I think the thing with Joseph is what you read there when he said, how can I do this great wickedness against God? Right. Great right. wicked, not not casual, not right. not slight mistake. Right, and I, I think that's the key. There, there's a great book. I'm going to share some quotes, but it's by John Owen called "The Mortification of Sin." Uh, I read this book very early on in my Christian life, and it, I mean, it, it's it's very powerful what John Owen does there. And I think that book is really what's missing in so much Christian counseling, if you will, and especially as it relates to lust and pornography. I mean, you could apply it to any sin. The subtitle is dealing with sin in your life. But I, I want to talk about that. But I want to start, uh, you know, Luke kind of laid out a lot of things there, especially as far as the dangers of this. But I, I want to be very practical here. One of the things is I, I think some the, – the mindset is, well, it's inevitable that I'm going to watch a little pornography, right? And that's, that's just not true, right? And if you have this mindset that, well, I can't actually never watch pornography again, then you're setting yourself up for failure, Um and I think there, you know, when Luke said this is, there's not a switch here. I, I think that there, we're constantly fighting our sin, but you can, and there, there are men that are, you know, do not watch pornography, right? And I'm just gonna, I'm gonna speak frankly from my own life. Um, growing up, and as before, I, I believed on Christ. I watched pornography. But when the Lord saved me, I just had that mentality of Joseph that this is so wicked, I can never look at this again. And I never have. Um, you know, so that was, I would say, before I was married. And, and there's forgiveness there and grace. And I say that to say, you know, even if that wasn't the case, biblically, you can argue from Scripture that you, you do not have to give in to this sin. And, and this is, again, this is not a thought thing it's part of it but this is you and this is why i talk to young guys sometimes and they're like hey i i want to stop doing this i'm like okay well why don't you get rid of do you, do you need your computer and they're like well no i'm like get rid of it then yeah. they're like ah, yeah i don't really want to i'm like well you don't really want to yeah be because they're like well that's not going to solve the problem and i understand what they're saying i didn't have to get rid of my computer um because at the root the issue is if you hate sin you're not going to do it if you see it as great wickedness, you're not going to do it. And so that's why I want to get into some practical practical things here. Because I think if, if you are watching pornography and you claim the name of Christ, I think one of the things the Bible would say to you, and, and Owen would as well, and the Reformed Confessions, you should have no assurance of your salvation. Mm -hmm. Now, we can get into the doctrine of assurance later, but the solution isn't for me to say, well, I, you're not a Christian. Like I don't know that. But, but what the Bible would say is you need to make your calling and election sure. And if you do not repent of this sin, which again, this is not, oh, I just fell into, I just happened to, to watch pornography. 
you are destroying any communion you have with God. So I want to get into that, but before I get into more of the brass tacks, I want to lay that out specifically to answer this question, because I think there'll be some people that are watching, and you know, you mentioned Travis, you've talked to some people, I know I have too, and they're like, well, you know what, I, I, this is a problem in my life. And you know, what, what are we going to say to them? And, and do we say, you know, well, just do it less? Or do we say, you, in the power of, of Christ, and his, you can stop this, and you need to stop it. Because if we don't start there, and this is one of the things, if you, don't, if, you, if you don't see this as a great wickedness, you are inevitably going to say it's not that big a deal to do it from time to time. So, Travis, let me come to you first and just kind of lay out, I know you've talked to, probably talked to people or heard of, okay, what can we do to start building a practical response to this? And there's a lot I want to bring up here in our, in our final time, but I'll let you start. I think this is one of the things that's the most lacking in this, in this discussion is the positive side of it. Um, I think that, like we've mentioned already, uh, the negative side of, you know, you need to just a good whack upside the head. A lot of these guys need to come to the realization that, and I know I did in my life as well, that this is a really wicked thing. And Christ's opinion about it is it's adultery. Adultery in your heart, and until we start to view uh, participating in pornography as adultery, we're never going to see it as the sin that it really is. And that's that's Chris's point. And so, you know, that's the that's the law side of this discussion. It is a breaking of the seventh commandment to view pornography, right? So we need to start there. We need the law. Um, and then I would say now it's not, it's usually not a sin. It's like a mistake, right, a, a failure, right, yeah. a slip up into it. Yeah. yeah. It's a vice maybe, yeah, you know, yeah. depending on how you, you term that, but no, we need to view it as a breaking of God's law as a sin and as a great wickedness against if you're married, your wife, if you're not married, your future wife, and yep. most of all, God, right. like you were bringing up Joel in, in, uh, the Joseph story. Uh, even if you never get married, uh, Joseph's main concern was not his future wife because he did end up having one, but his main concern was God. Right. And there can be no, there can be no pulling apart of uh, serving our our neighbor and God. Like they're not separate things. It's when we know that we love God when we keep His commandments, right? And we love others, mm -hmm. as as John the Apostle said. Yeah. yeah. So I think that we need to move into, positively speaking, and you started on this, Chris, uh, what can we positively do? And I would say, how does the gospel interact with this issue? Yeah. Well, I got, so. I got, I got the John Owen approach that I'm ready to unleash, um, and then I want you guys to interact with it. This is not going to be your, uh, your, your modern Christian pornography uh, Rehabilitation. Course. Warning everybody: the, the the USS John Owen is about to pull up beside your ship and uh, give you blast you with a broadside, uh, forty eight cannons at once. Here, here, here we go. So I think, and I want to start off with this quote on assurance. Owen said, "Every unmortified sin, and we're talking about the mortification of sin. It's putting sin to death. So if you're a Christian, and even if you're not, you should follow God's law and." Pornography is a violation of God's law. It's fornication. It's adultery of the heart. So if, if you're a Christian, man, you have Christ and the Spirit 
to that is going to be convicting you and disciplining you and chastising you to repent if this sin is in your life. Um, and if you're not a Christian, and by the grace of God you see, which many people do, this is not good, well, the only way you can find true deliverance from your sin, not just pornography, is, is through Christ. Because Owen will make the case, well, yeah, an unregenerate man, maybe he could make some advances against outward lusts. And I think it's possible for an unregenerate person to stop viewing porn. Um, but they're not dealing with the issue. They're not dealing with their, their lust. They're just redirecting it. So John Owen says, every unmortified sin will certainly do two things. First, it will weaken the soul and deprive it of its vigor. Secondly, it will darken the soul and deprive it of its comfort and peace. And there's a lot more we could say there. But if you are in Christ and you are engaging in pornography, you are going to be in a dark, dark, dark place. And, and if you are there, I think that is some level, a small level of hope for you that you can't stay there. Now, that, that's not enough because you can be unregenerate and, and have, you know, just feel miserable because of your sin. But if you are in Christ, the Lord will not leave you without discipline. And as much as I, I hate, you know, it's possible for a believer to sin grievously. So, but but if you're in that sin, you can have no assurance of your salvation. And the point then is to make your calling election sure. So what what the modern, I think what the modern approach to pornography is, it's kind of like, look, you know, you're, you're a broken person. We're all broken people. Uh, you know, you fell into this. You know, maybe you were injured as a young person. And I get all those things are true, and that's wicked if that happens. But then the mindset is it's kind of like, you know, you doing this is, is it's not helpful to you. It's not helpful to your marriage. And all those things are true. But it's missing the point, and it's buying into this victim mentality. Because when we don't take responsibility for our sin, we will never mortify it. If we constantly say, well, the reason I got into pornography was because I was abused as a child. That's horrible and wicked. And I understand from the, you know, from our perspective how, how that led to this. But if you don't take responsibility for your sin and say, you know what, but I'm still responsible before God as a Christian to mortify this sin. If you don't do that, you're never going to make progress. Uh, so stop me at any time, guys, because um, this is the final section. And I want us to, to hopefully leave men with something different than, hey, pornography is really bad. Um, it's it's really evil uh or you know hey it's pretty bad try your best to stop it if you do it every now and then it's you know it's understandable we're all falling no it, it's it's not acceptable and it's not something that you can brush under the rug and say well yeah that happened again so owen does something that um that the modern christian programs reject he doesn't say this is what owen doesn't say he doesn't say hey i know you already feel guilty and rotten because that's usually what happens right when 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 someone comes uh, you know i've had people talk to me like yeah i mean i know i feel guilty i feel bad about this and so the response usually from these christian and i've talked to people who have who know people who've gone through these programs specifically for pornography and it just seems like the kind of message is i know you already feel bad i'm not going to beat you up about it and John Owen is like, oh, yes, I am. You are not taking this seriously enough. And if you read this book, The Mortification of Sin, have you, have any, either you read this? I have not read, read it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you got to read it, Joel. I mean, so he says, okay, first thing, I'm not really going in order here, but get a clear and abiding sense upon thy mind and conscience, first of the guilt, secondly of the danger, thirdly of the evil of that sin wherewith thou art perplexed. So he says, okay, 
and I'm going to put in this for, for pornography. If you want to deal with this sin, you need to fill your mind. Think about the guilt of this. Don't say, well, I already feel guilty. What do I do? No, you need to think more about how you have violated God's law. God is so good. He's given you life and you've broken his law. Secondly, of the danger that you're in temporally, you know, all these things we talked about with, with destroying your sex drive, ruining your current relationship, future relationship, uh, eternally, the state of your soul. Then he says, thirdly, of the evil. Think of how evil it is for you to engage in pornography. This is evil. And if you don't have that in your mind, I guarantee you, you will continue to watch pornography. Because if, you, if you're not convinced in your mind that this is evil, you will make excuses for it. Every other you know, reason against it, you can, reason, you can wiggle out of if you don't see it as evil. He goes on and he says, load thy conscience. All right, so you think, okay, maybe he's done. No, he says, load your conscience with the guilt of your sin. Just think about how guilty you are, how, how wicked you are that you would do something like this. He says, bring the holy law of God into your conscience. Lay your corruption to it. Pray that you may be affected with it. You see, Owen's saying, the problem isn't that, you know, you guys, you know, you're, you're beating yourselves up. The problem is you're not taking responsibility for your sin. You're not owning the fact that what you're doing is wicked and it's loading you with guilt and shame and rightfully so. Uh, so, you know, that's to me, that's so practical. That was so helpful to me that this is, this is in the mind, right? You're, as a man thinks, so he is. You, you don't just open your computer and go onto a pornography site or open your cell phone you know, app and go to one. It's not how it happens. There's, there, there's been a whole train of thoughts in your mind to get to that point. And if you are not mortifying your sin, then you're in the position where you might be like, well, this just kind of happened. It didn't just happen, but you weren't dealing with your sin in your mind. Um, he goes on and on and says, uh, use and exercise yourself to such meditations as may serve to fill you at all times. Listen to how this, how opposite this is from the modern, the modern approach. You want, you want to be filled at all times with self-abasement and thoughts of your own vileness. <laughs> I'm going to stop there for a minute. What, what a life coach. <laughs> yeah. What, what, are there many Christian programs that are, that are doing that? Do you guys think they're out there that are, that are doing this approach? Well, that was something I wanted to ask you, Chris. Do you know of any uh, ministries that are are working on this issue of pornography in the church and are doing a good job of it like this? I'm not going to say there aren't. I, to answer your question, I don't personally know. You might know better than me. Um, so I'm not going to say there are none. I'm just going to say I think the ones that I've interacted with, I, I don't see them dealing with the sin as sin, and I think that's a fundamental flaw and I think I speak that from the biblical perspective, which I think Owen is correct, and then from my own personal experience, that if you are not, if your mind is not being transformed by the law of God, and part of that is to see how evil sin is, you, you will not mortify your flesh. So there might be some, I just don't know of them. I'm not going to say they're not out there, but the, the ones that I have seen are... are, are would, would not say, hey, you, you need to you need to loathe yourself and your and your sin. And I'm going to get to, but but let's talk about how awful Owen is here. You know, the, he he shouldn't he shouldn't be talking this way. But we need to ask ourselves a question: We how, how many we have um, radio program, we have books, 
We have um, you can go here and you know for a two week program or whatever for for people that have this problem and it's going to cure you or whatever. Let's ask ourselves this question: How's it going? Right. I, I mean, with with all the we we have we got we have books we have radio. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff, and no one is saying that we're conquering the lust problem, the adultery problem, the porn problem in Christian circles. Is anybody saying that we're making progress? I don't know if anyone who's saying it, but we have we have all the material out there. We have all the programs, but we don't have Owen. <laughs> yeah, now, I mean, I know that our at our church. Uh, we had a, a men's Bible study that went through mortification of sin. I didn't go to all of it, but I've I've separately read this book before. Um, so I mean, it, it is being. Read. I'm not saying there's no churches that are teaching this message. I'm not. I'm not saying that. As I said, I'm. I don't, I'm not saying there's not any program that is. I'm just saying in my interaction, every time I've spoken with someone or have heard of a program they're in, as I recollect, I just left thinking, man, this is soft. And, and and how is this going to deal with your root problem if you're starting out with, well, we're not we're not going to beat you over the head that you're a sinner, and, uh, and that's that's yeah, kind of what I'm I, getting at. I guess my point is that uh, that maybe people are reading Owen's book, or there are little pockets here or there that might be dealing with it. But I think that one of the things that many people might say about what you're mm-hmm. what you're reading from Owen here is that it's it's legalism. Right. Well, I'm going to get to I'm going to get to the grace. Okay. Well, and I think that it would be be dismissed right too quickly. Right. uh, What Owen is saying here and what you're what you're quoting from him would be dismissed too quickly as uh, that's just legalism. Right. You know. Yeah. yeah, But but I I want to focus on what you just said there, Chris. Um, We don't need to beat them over the head. Now that's one of those kind of like ethereal type statements. Like, what does that actually mean? Right. We we we, we don't we need to beat them over the head. And what we're really saying is, the problem is they don't feel good enough. Is that it? And in other words, we need to somehow in our counseling for someone who is into this into this thing of pornography. Somehow we need to make them feel better. And Owen is not making us feel better here. Right. <laughs> We're, we're this, this is a mess we're in here this is bad yeah so um would you like to share that yeah i now? think there's a um so this is um i just brought Rosaria I'm, I'm not done with john just so you know you're gonna think oh, that that's all he had i <laughs> no, have no, more no. but, you're not but off I, think easy. That, I think that one of his uh compatriots uh puritan jeremiah burroughs uh Rosaria Butterfield, in her great book, Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age, she's dealing explicitly in this book with the the whole transgenderism and and all of these other things that are going on. She doesn't specifically talk about the issue of pornography, but in this uh, lie number four, transgenderism is normal. Um, She she recommends the rare jewel of Christian contentment, Mm -hmm. Jeremiah Burroughs' book, which I think is a supplement to Owen's mortification of sin. I think it's more like the positive side. And one of the things that uh, she says in here, uh, in the book, he lists six spiritual practices that serve as powerful spiritual weapons against the sin of envy. So he's dealing with envy here, which I would say there is a sense in which um, pornography is an issue of envy. And like you said earlier, uh, the 10th commandment, coveting. Um, The third of the six is add burdens don't seek to subtract them 
She says, quote, Burroughs also says that a Christian comes to contentment not so much by getting rid of the burden that is on him as by adding another burden to himself. And the burden that he tells us to add is the burden of our sin. Mm. The real Christian is deeply concerned with sinning against God when he is in pain. The pretend Christian has remade a God in the image of his insatiable desire and cannot imagine a God who denies what his flesh craves. Counterfeit Christians judge God by their own intentions and the merits of their feelings. Mm. There you go. Very, yeah. very good supplement. And I would highly recommend this book and Burroughs six spiritual weapons against envy. Yeah. Now, you know, you mentioned people might, might see this as legalism. Um, but I, I think, I mean, we've, t- we've, talked about legalism i think at different points in the past and i think one of the fundamental problems is we we misunderstand christianity when we think that way and we misunderstand the grace uh that is in the covenant with christ Mm. that if if you are a child of god through christ you will be disciplined and you god has given means for you to grow in grace and that's owen's point Mm -hmm. god has called his children to mortify their sin and he has given them means to do so. And, and Owen, I mean, I don't have time to back everything up scripturally. I encourage you to get Owen's book. But when he's doing this thing about, hey, you, you need to load your mind with, 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 with the guilt of sin and the danger of it. I mean, he, he's going to scripture after scripture. Here's what it means that you're guilty. Here are the dangers of unrepentant sin. Here's the wickedness of sin. All that is grace because it is – that is the gracious part because only a, a believer will respond – to this, you know, to God's word and and repent of sin. So I, I want to keep going a little bit, and then we can keep interacting with this. I'm almost done with just a brief summary of John Owen. Um, so he says, fill you, you know, fill your your mind at all times with self abasement and and thoughts of your own vileness. And to me, this is very practical um, theology right here. This is what you do in the battle of your mind. You really load your mind with the truth about sin. And I'm I'm telling you, men, if if you are saying, you know, this is something I want to stop, that, then you need to do this. You need to meditate on God's law. Well, what does that mean as it relates to pornography? It can't just mean you sit there and say, I'm just going to meditate on what God's law says about how much God loves me and, and you know, how, how Christ loved the church. Those are true things to meditate on, yes. But if you are rejecting the meditation on God's law that says, this is what God requires of you, and this is the wickedness of man to disobey. You're not meditating on God's law. And, and so you, you need to do this. Um, you need to load your mind with the truth of sin, n- not about how bad you feel, right? And this is the, the distinction. Some people say, well, I feel miserable whenever I watch pornography. Every t- you know, I, get, it, it, I mean, this is normally, oh, I get drawn into it, and then I feel miserable. And you can say it's the same with a bunch of other sins. And so the solution is not to okay, I'm just going to think about how miserable I feel. No, you need to think about the wickedness of what you did and think about that you don't, you're not, you don't even feel miserable enough for what that sin calls for, namely eternal damnation if you're outside of Christ. Okay, so we have to, so we have to fix our, you know, our gaze on Christ through God's law word. And the modern, many, I'm not going to say all of them, but many of the modern so-called you know, Christian therapeutic measures are that we lessen the reality of sin in our lives. Okay, so Owen does all that, and then he comes to the gospel, okay? And he comes to the gospel, 
and when I'm reading the book, I'm like, okay, now now we're gonna get you know just the grace of the gospel. Now I don't know if you remember what he says, Travis. He says, okay, bring thy lust to the gospel, and he says, not for relief, but for further conviction of its guilt. He's like, You're, we're not done yet. Uh, uh, convincing ourselves how wicked this is. Look on him whom thou hast pierced and be in bitterness. So I think overall Owen's point is this. We're not taking this sin seriously enough. And that's that's my experience with, with talking to young men. Hmm. You're not serious about this. You are not serious about stopping pornography. Uh, you, you might feel miserable about it. You might wish that you could stop doing it. You might say you want to stop doing it, but you're not taking it seriously. Uh, you're not treating it as the evil, wicked, soul-destroying disease that it is that you've inflicted upon yourself. And Owen says one of the one of the deceits of a prevailing lust or lust that you are, you know, constantly um, falling into and willingly sinning is that it extenuates its own guilt. He's saying this is the psychology of, of the sinner in his unrepentant sin. That's not that bad. And you have to you have to treat this sin, pornography, as the wicked, wicked sin that it is. And if you don't start there, uh, y- you're not you're not going to make any progress. I want to read a uh, this is this is about abortion. This was a, a quote from Apologia just put out a uh, I haven't watched the whole thing yet, but a, a video on on the pro life movement and abortion and and the, it's called the fatal lie or, or something fatal flaw. Fatal flaw, fatal flaw. I think, yeah. yeah. So I just want to read this. This is uh, this is from a woman who had committed an abortion, and, and I think that what we do with abortion in, in modern Christianity is we say, well, don't beat yourself up over the fact that you, that you had the abortion. You know, just look to Christ for forgiveness. And when you don't treat your sin as sin, you you won't find forgiveness and grace in Christ. And we just the same thing with pornography. If we tell men, hey. It ha- it, you know, it's, it's regular, all guys do it, which isn't true. And, and then we say, you know what, it, it's, you know, yeah, we're all fallen and broken and just look to Christ to help you. That's not going to cut it um, because you're not dealing with the sin. So I just want to read this. This is a comment a, a woman made on, on their video. She said, I murdered my preborn daughter through an abortion about 11 and a half years ago. For a long time, I saw myself as a second victim, partly because it was what people told me I should feel and partly because it was comforting. I finally repented for real of my abortion about a year ago. I was sitting in my car at work on my break listening to various videos and it clicked. What I did was murder and I was guilty. I bursted into tears and confessed to God. For many years before this, I thought I had repented of what I had done, but realized I never truly did because I had never seen my, because I had seen myself as another victim. When I actually repented, I was truly set free. I no longer felt this lingering sense of something being incomplete. By listening to people talk about abortion truthfully is what led me to that point of repentance. People think it is cruel or mean to talk honestly to post-abortive women, and I can say the exact opposite is true. By sugarcoating it and telling women they were also victims, you are denying them the chance of true repentance and thus freedom from sin. What actually is compassion is telling women the truth, the full truth. So thank you to those who approach abortion from a biblical perspective. I thought that was really powerful. I mean, like, and that's what we're doing, I, I think, with pornography to a degree. We're preventing men from true repentance and true freedom because we're not telling them the truth about pornography. It's not a mistake. It's not something you fell into. You are doing this. You are the man, and you need to repent. And there is 
infinite grace in Christ in his covenant for those that are his. And if, if you would, would treat this sin as, you're, as you are supposed to, then you will find, you will find uh, healing. And Owen has a lot more to say, you know, that as far as beyond that, he says, so set faith at work on Christ for the killing of your sin. His blood is the great sovereign remedy for sin-sick souls. Live in this, and you will die a conqueror. Yea, you will, through the good providence of God, live to see your lust dead at your feet. I think that's a beautiful quote, and I can speak from experience. That is a reality in the life of the Christian that looks to Christ and treats sin as the wicked, evil thing that it is. And if you don't do that, you're not going to find uh, that healing. So I, don't know, I had to get my John Owen out there because I think that is missing so much in, in the issue of pornography, especially within the church. Travis, Joel, any uh, disagreements with Owen? Any anything you want to uh, you want to add? Be, be it far from me to uh, disagree with John Owen here. I, I remember seeing a um, uh, a comment from from someone who saw uh, this is a woman who saw her neighbor. Apparently, there was a, um, a, a like a rat or something loose in the garden, and she talked about the fact that uh, she saw her neighbor go out there with um, it, it was some kind of like a baseball bat or something. And um, was just whacking at, at this at this rat, and just kept on. And, and, and you know, and, and the neighbor was was intent on dealing with this rat. Right. There, <laughs> and, there was no ambivalence in his emotion towards the rat. Right. He he wasn't like making excuse for the rat. Well, rats are around. What are you going to do? Uh, no, this neighbor was not quitting. Uh, quitting until that rat was was dealt with. And this person went on to, um, to, to to point out, you know what? That really is is how we should be be with with our sin. R- really, we're, we're not quitting <laughs> until this rat is, is is killed. And a practical thing there, I, I know I know this is in the mind. So so people might say, well, what are the practical ways I can stop? You know, well, I could tell you all the things about getting rid of your phones and stuff and all that, and 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 do that. You know, if, if that's the issue, but. This is still mortification of sin is in the heart, the mind. You know, the Bible talks about those things together, and, and that that example of the rat. I think one of the points that the Scripture makes when it talks about our minds being transformed and, and meditating on the law of God, and and the place for a, a a godly emotion response to sin, like Joseph had. That I mean, that's a visceral response for him at that point. How could I do this? And when people see a rat, I mean, what's their visceral response? Yeah. Oh, this thing is ghastly. Yeah, disgusting. It's like you don't have to teach you know someone to to hate a rat in their house. Um, your emotional response to that rat drives you to want to beat the living daylights out of it and kill that thing. And it, we need to have that sort of response to our sin. And that's Owen's whole point. You have to have this emotional, and that's why he says you you got you have to do this work. And some people say it's legalism. It's not. It's you have to do this spirit empowered work of filling your mind with how repulsive this rat is, so that every time you think about, I mean, you just think about how wicked it is. You don't think, well, I mean, maybe a rat would make a nice pet. No, you get that out of your mind. This thing is—it's got diseases. It's going to eat your baby. It's going to—it's going to give. It's going to—and that's what you have to do with with pornography, Travis. 
I'd like to read another passage here from uh, Rosaria Butterfield's book. Uh, the first point that Burroughs brings up, she says, is to be, be unsatisfied with the world. Christians must learn how to be content with God, even while being unsatisfied in the world. The world cannot, cannot give us what we need. We are, not pray, we are not to pray for things that Scripture forbids, which we've covered. It is forbidden, fornication, pornography. If you get the unbiblical thing you ask for, you can be sure that you are now eating out of Satan's hand, not God's. Learn to be content in God and unsatisfied in the world. And this is a, it is an issue of, of contentment and desire. And um, one of the things I remember learning, uh, Mark Driscoll said it years ago, um, back when he was still doing good stuff. We're not, we're not getting into Yeah. Go ahead. But it was, it, was a, it was an important point, I think, um, that he, he did have a pretty helpful ministry to men in this area, I will say. Uh, and one of the things that I remember him saying was, uh, you know, it, it can be an issue of contentment, this struggle with pornography. Maybe, maybe you know, as a man, he, he might think, well, my, my wife doesn't look like that supermodel that I could look up, you know, on the Internet. And he said, look, if, if you think to yourself, well, I'm really into blondes, but my wife is redheaded. No, you're into redheads. If your wife is redheaded, you're into redheads. You know, like you're into your wife. And that was helpful for me as a young, you know, I was like 20, 21 years old. Um, when I first got married, I was 20. And just that, that desire to, to focus your sexual desires and passions on the woman God has given you. And, you know, I think that's the other side of this that you're talking about here, Chris, you know, like focusing on the fact that every single other woman who is tempting you, who you are tempted by, uh, look at, look at her like that rat in a sense, you know, uh, look at all those women on the internet as the rat and look at your wife as the beautiful gift that God has given you. That's one of the great problems with pornography for, for, you know, if, if, if I am lusting after another woman, what am I saying about God? I'm, I'm shaking my finger in his face and saying, you know, what you gave me is not good enough. Mm -hmm. and, and God has given me a, a wife, which the Bible says is a good thing. Yeah. You're supposed to rejoice with the wife of your youth. Uh, the end of Malachi, uh, God really castigates those people for giving up their wife, the wife of your youth, mm -hmm. of your youth. And it, it, it in the end... For me to say to God, who's given me a wonderful gift called a wife, to tell him not good enough through the viewing of pornography is, is, is vile and wicked and should be seen just as exactly what John Owen is saying here. Exactly. Right. Precisely. Bring it back. Fill your mind with that. There's a passage John Owen quotes often in this book, uh, his book, The Mortification of Sin, and that's 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the God. In the fear of God. So, yeah, I agree with what you're saying, uh, but I think what Owen's doing is saying, well, th that's part of it. But if you're if you're not married, if you're single, you say, well, I don't, yeah, right. I, I don't have a wife. So, right. what am I supposed? And and that's where the heart of this is. You know, Joseph's response: I cannot sin against God. You have to hate sin so much that it would be you know it's it's defiling i mean that's what paul says it, we got to cleanse ourselves from this defilement you have something that's defiling you 
you know, this this disease, this parasite on you. You don't, you know, you this don't call rat. it. Yeah, this rat that you, 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 you rip it off and you kill it. And, and that's the mindset mm-hmm. that we need to have with all our sin. And pornography, again, it, it's so, so wicked and so vile. And it's so far down the path of sin. You know, we, we would talk about gradations of sin, and, and I agree with the Reformed catechisms. But pornography is, is pretty far down there because this is not, you know, this is something that it, it's not, you know, like Luther talked about, the, the bird flying over your head and building a nest. And, and that's even just in the thought life. Like, it's wicked for you t- to fantasize, uh, you know, about a woman that doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, that's not yours. Now, again, we get into all those discussions, but this is pornography specifically is you taking an action mm-hmm. to fulfill the lust that you've been feeding in your mind and that's the issue that is missed in 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 i think a lot of uh christian response and owen says no you have to feed your mind with a hatred of this thing you'll be repulsed by it anything else you'd like to add joel just one last thing um something i've mentioned from time to time when i've talked about this and and, you know seeing the vileness of of this horrific sin what pornography does to a man is it turns a protector into a predator think of of what you love your children your wife and then think of this pornography as that which will turn you from the protector of your wife and your children into a predator of them you're gonna say well i don't do that well, good for you, but there's an awful lot of folks out there that are doing exactly that. And maybe not your own children, but we have all kinds of problems with grandfathers. Uh, we have problems with other other people's children. It will turn you into a predator when you are supposed to be a protector. Travis, anything you'd like to add? Any, any questions you think that maybe we've missed, I've missed for you know the brass tacks of someone who's who would who would be willing to say you know i'm I'm watching pornography and and i want to stop you think we missed anything obviously we go on and on but uh, you know any main points you think we should address or anything you want to add i think that obviously there's a lot of things that we missed just because of the fact that this is a limited amount of time sure um but i think that the main root issue has been covered and i think you know i'm glad you brought owen into this it's it's really helpful um i would say just quickly there are some practical things to be done right away for a man who's in the grip of this. And, you know, those are practical things that are useful. It's like, it's like disciplining a child. Well, you know, some people would say, Oh, you give your child a spanking for a bad attitude or something. And, uh, you know, you didn't fix the heart. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, no, but that's one of the tools God uses on the road of the heart, having the right desire and affection. And so I would say, you know, accountability with another another guy or something like that. If if you're in the grip of this, like Chris said, maybe maybe you need to take some drastic actions here. And at the very least, I would say having some kind of accountability software on all of your electronic devices. You know, my family has uh, covenant eyes on everything, um, just as a as a kind of a stopgap. But you have to get to the place where you're dealing with the root issue here, like we've been talking about on it. Uh, but definitely reach out to another Christian man that you know will hold you accountable and put things in place. Get rid of things that, that are going to be a, a stumbling block to you. And those are practical things that need to be discussed. You know, I know yeah. we don't have time for it. Well, I do want to make a comment on that. I think I did briefly. But 
this is what what I found. I know my experience is is just one person's, but I've talked to people and I and I've said, "Hey, why don't you do these practical things?" And there's a lot of excuses mm-hmm. for those practical things, and and I think the reason is because they do not view pornography as evil and wicked, and that's why. So I, I'm, I'm with you. Um, I, I think, and then they'll make the argument, "Well, I, I know how I can get around these safeguards. You know, if I'm the one installing it, I know how." And then, of course, you have accountability, and some people are like, "Well, I can get around that too." Like I know how to hack the system so that even though it's supposed to notify you, my accountability partner, I have a way around that. And so I hear what they're saying and I'm saying, I get it, but your unwillingness to even take these steps reveals to me mm-hmm. that you don't want to treat this sin for what it is. Because I'm convinced we don't need those software. I think they're especially great uh, you know, in the family to prevent your right. children from seeing anything. Yeah. But in the end, I want to say to men who like, there's something more powerful than covenant eyes to prevent, to, to keep you from the forbidden woman. Now, I'm not saying don't use that software. I hear what I'm saying, but I'm saying when, when people say, well, okay, yeah, this is going to solve the problem. No, and then they, even, and they don't even want to do it. I say, well, why don't you get rid of your phone? Get rid of your laptop. Well, yeah, I don't know. Because you're not treating this as, as a disease that is killing you. And that's the thing, the basic thing that, you know, I love Ray Comfort and, and you know, him reviving just what he's seen throughout church history, the law and then the gospel. If you don't, if people aren't convinced of their sin, mm-hmm. they're not going to value the gospel. And if you're not convinced that pornography is a wicked, vile, deadly thing to your soul, you can have no assurance of salvation. I mean, go read chapter, what is it, 18? It's my favorite chapter in the Confession. It's the same chapter in Westminster and 1689 on the assurance of salvation. You're going to have no assurance of salvation. You're going to be destroying the things that you have built. You know, if you don't, if you don't see this for, for the evil that it is, no amount of, you know, confession, no amount of accountability software, no amount of, you know, is going to help you because you will always just go back to justifying it. You're saying, well, yeah, but it's not that bad. And so I just want to hammer that point home mm-hmm. because, again, people are going to say, oh, man, man, you guys are so legalistic or you want people to feel horrible. Well, the, 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 for, for your average person, like, don't commit adultery is now legalism, right? right. That's legalistic. <laughs> but this is, this, is, this is Christianity that we need to understand. We are truly pathetic worms before a holy and just god and outside of christ we are utterly vile and despicable and if you if you can't embrace that i mean you haven't even gotten you know christianity 101 so if you are in christ right. if you are saved by him all your righteous deeds are as filthy rags you're only you have to look to christ right to live is you know to live as christ to die as gain everything is about christ if i'm trying to find any good thing in me it's going to fail and that's the point of owen you you need to think of yourself because if you hang on to this little thing well you know maybe it's not that bad maybe you're not going to turn to christ for help so that's my thing yeah and if you if you um i encourage you to get the mortification of sin read the scriptures and never go easy on your sin that's my practical overarching thing because if you go easy on this that's the psychology of anything if you're not convinced that something is evil you will probably do it again mm-hmm. um because in the moment you are going to go back to the to the 
to the logic and the reasoning. Was it really this bad? I mean, you know, I, I'm feeling horrible. I don't have a wife or X, Y, or Z. You know, and you're gonna and because you're not convinced, you, you might be convinced this is this is wrong. It's not helpful, but you're, you're going to justify it in your mind. And and if you if you if you hate something so vehemently that that it, it disgusts you, then even in that moment you'll be like Joseph and flee. So. I'll stop talking now. Anything else, Travis, you want to add? Yeah, I think just to echo what you said, I think it's a it's a, a great question for a man in the grip of this problem. If you're unwilling to take those initial steps, like you pointed out, then that's a, a red flag indication that you really are not viewing this the way you should. You're not viewing it as, you know, a complete breaking of God's law. You're not viewing it as a turning away from the grace that's being offered in Christ. So if you're in that situation and you're making excuses and this, well, this doesn't really do anything or this doesn't work right or I can get around it, uh, you, you really need to repent and you really need to, to take a look at what is required as a Christian man. And that's something that is really helpful is to see what is our duty? What is our duty as Christian men? Our duty and our responsibility is faithfulness to God faithfulness to either our current wife our future wife or mm -hmm. if you end up being celibate faithfulness to god faithfulness to the christian community right uh because like like joel you pointed out this this will impact your relationships with other people so yeah that's what i would like to to end with there joel here here's the thing um use every this is just so horrible it's it's so bad one thing i've and i've had this discussion with my wife you know i have you know six sons and so honestly um as as a as a man who you know you don't you don't have any sons you have daughters right I have, travis I have three daughters three yeah. daughters right and your sons chris are, are, are young still sons, yeah. yeah so, so far. We, we have six sons adult sons and so um this was an absolute battle in, in in our home mm -hmm. and um i i had to I, I had to tell my sons that i was at war with this and um i'm going to do whatever i had to do uh, no matter how drastic that i wasn't going to stand by while while this happened well now that my sons are older i said to my wife i've said this to her a few times i said if any of my sons or sons-in-law catch me with porn if that were to happen and I was I was engaging in this, I would easily lose seventy five percent of my influence with them, and they would probably want to rightfully keep me away from their their children. I, I wouldn't blame them at all, and and it would destroy so much. And to to, to Owen's point here, we, we we just don't get the destructive, wicked, horrific nature of what we're involved in here, right? Yeah, and I think this is an opportunity in our current culture. I mean, obviously, the forbidden woman has been around, and and uh, you know, evil, immoral men as well. But in our culture right now, with with the the pornification of culture, Christians have the opportunity to 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 say, hey, here's how you mortify sin according to the Bible. And I think the church as a whole is dropping the ball on that, because what he says, he's not talking about pornography specifically, but this applies to any sin, right, right. and it's it's the same. You know, a lot of these things are things I try to to help my wife with, like, hey you need to think about this sin correctly until you start thinking about this as sin you're not going to make progress 
So I'll end with one more quote from Owen. Hatred of sin as sin, not only as galling or disquieting, a sense of the love of Christ in the cross lies at the bottom of all true spiritual mortification. He says, if you just have this disquieting feeling, this uncomfortableness with your sin, that's not going to cut it. Hatred of sin is sin, and then a sense of the love of Christ in the cross, that lies at the heart, at the bottom of all true spiritual mortification. So, men and women, put your sin to death. Right? Owen's, Owen's famous quote, be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. The power of Christ in his covenant is that you would put sin to death and don't fool around with it you're going to be in a position of utter darkness and despair no communion with god and you're going to be destroying others so if you love christ hate sin just think about what owen said right there though and what you said earlier travis that the, the, the measure is is our is our feelings we feel bad about it mm -hmm. owen saying no 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 you're not you're not considering Christ. You're not considering that mass of unrecognizable bloody thing that was on that horrific cross. And that's the ugliness of your sin. And you we, we trade that for a bad feeling. Right. Oh man. See I, that's like an insight I, I I'm gonna take with me that frankly I, I didn't quite bring it to this discussion. Hmm. It's good. All right, go and sin no more, ladies and gentlemen and find your strength and your identity in Christ and walk according to his law. For more information about the Lancaster Patriot, go to thelancasterpatriot.com. Until next time, remember that Christ, not man, is king. So long.